Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. We're getting smelly on the podcast today as I speak with Liam Findlay, multi-sensory attraction designer and scenting specialist at Aroma Prime. Liam discusses the use of aromas storytelling and psychological influences in your attraction and why smell is a form of mind control. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Liam, hello. Welcome to Skip the Queue. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. How are you is the question. I'm very good. Fatigued from lots of orders, but it's a good thing. (laughs) Right, we'll talk about that in a minute because it's a very busy season for you. Our listeners will find out why soon. But first, icebreaker questions. So I'm going to start with a couple of topical ones. So I want to know, what is your favourite smell? And also, what is the smell that turns your stomach? (laughs) Um, My favourite smell is probably a kind of when I was growing up, there was an attraction called the Time Walk in the town I lived in, um, and it had a musty smell in the Black Death scene, um, and <laughs> it was very scary and dark in there, and it had a, that horrible smell. But the attraction's been closed for over a decade now, and everyone in the town remembers it for its Black Death smell. Um, <laughs> and now I work for the company that made that smell. So I have kind of a a personal connection to it. Um, Oh, how funny. And do you have, okay, so do they have the smell in the archive? So can you go and find the smell and it takes you back to that attraction? Yeah, we're selling it now as the time walk smell for locals who might want to transport themselves back. This is amazing. And again, this is something that we will talk about a little bit later. Those those emotive, um, the, the, the reasons why smell is so emotive for people. Okay, and what about the worst smell? Um, I'm not sure when when it comes to that because I'm so used to all sorts of horrible smells. And especially with Aroma Prime, everything's artificial, so I know it's just chemicals. So I don't tend to be repulsed by them. Personally, I think things that are to do with people's mouths I don't like, <laughs> like food-related smells. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or, um, if someone's just been eating and you can smell it. Like uh, like if someone had eaten raw onion or something like that. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, <laughs> I mean, mine's tequila, but there's a whole other story around that that we'll, we'll save for uh, another day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What are you most likely to buy when you exit through the gift shop? Um, probably a magnet for my parents' fridge. <laughs> do, do they collect magnets like when they go on holiday and stuff? If they, is it full of Yeah, full of always. It's kind of a mandatory thing. If someone goes on holiday, they have to get a magnet from okay. the fridge. All right. I like that. That's quite a good collection to have. Unless they sell smells. Efteling sells smells of its rides in its, its gift shop. So that's a must do for me. I've never heard of that before. Is that the only attraction that you know that does that? Um... I think Europa Park might have done it. Yeah, and Blackpool Pleasure Beach has candles that are inspired by the rides, but they aren't the actual smells. Oh. So, I, um, yeah, after the, I don't know why more places don't do it. Well, maybe they will after they hear this podcast, Liam, yeah, who knows? Uh-huh. Okay, and if you could choose any attraction to create a smell for, what attraction would it be? It's hard to say because... I kind of work on lots of smells for all sorts of attractions anyway. I th- I always enjoy 
kind of time travel ones, maybe linking back to the time walk attraction that I grew up with, because they always have a nice variety of smells with all the different time periods you can go through. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you, yeah. So there's a little bit of um, variety involved in what you could create with them. So it wouldn't all be the same. Okay. Interesting. Thank you. All right. Liam, what's your unpopular opinion? I would say that bad smells are not necessarily bad in that they can, like I was just saying, they can bring back memories. We work with lots of care homes at Aroma Prime and like sometimes you can have um, a horrible fishy smell that's used in scare mazes, but it's also used to bring back memories for people that used to be fishermen or fisherwomen. Um, Bad smells, if you put them in different contexts, they can actually not be so bad. Like sometimes you can have a kind of horrible manure smell. Um, but if you present it as something like a lovely countryside kind of atmosphere, um, people can react positively to it. And actually rhino dung. I was sniffing some rhino dung last week. <laughs> as you do. <laughs> um, at Chessington World of Adventures. And we were saying how it's just got a lovely kind of grassy smell to it because the rhinos eat grass. But then when you realise it's rhino dung, you, you might end up reacting to it negatively. Okay, so, so we need to reframe our minds around what that smell is and yeah. take away the bad connotation of it. Yeah, bad smells are perhaps not always necessarily bad, depending on how you look at them. That's okay. my message. All right, <laughs> listeners. Well, let us know what you think as ever. I'm going to need to reframe tequila in my mind. Maybe, I don't know, maybe yeah. if we meet up at an event, someone can help me do that. Who knows? <laughs> Um, I thought about you while I was on holiday a few weeks ago, Liam. I don't often think about many of my podcast guests while I'm on holiday, but you definitely came to mind. It was because of some of the things that we're going to talk about today. So I took my husband and my daughter into the Museum of Torture, which um, was a very small museum in in Tuscany, in uh, Siena. Probably not child friendly, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I don't think my 14 month old was overly impressed. But we went down into, it was a very small museum. We went down into the dungeon area and it was very small and it was very dark and it smelled really musty. And it was the, the one part of the museum for me that really captured that sense of, of, of like, oh, it, this is a this is a dangerous place to be you know something horrid is going to happen here and it was because of the smell you didn't have that in any of the other areas and you kind of it was really fascinating you walked around and you looked at these um you know torture instruments and you saw how people were treated and what they you know what they did to people but that area was the one place that it really like got under my skin and up my nose but for the right reasons because of the smell and it instantly made me think about you and what you guys do. So tell us a little bit about Aroma Prime and then tell us a little bit about what your role is there. Well, Aroma Prime has been around since 1973, so we're turning 50 next year. Um, And throughout that time, we've been making immersive smells for visitor attractions. So it could be to kind of uh, increase anticipation and anxiety in a roller coaster queue with the smell of um, fire, for example like at Alton Towers' Wicker Man roller coaster, or it could be to educate people and engage them in the past if it's a historical smell. It could be to kind of bring about certain feelings if they're walking into a hotel and you want a lovely 
signature scent that's going to make people relaxed or if it's um historical or uh nostalgic scents that are used in care homes like i was just saying uh to kind of bring back fond memories so there's kind of lots of ways you can use smells to trick the mind and change how people feel maybe feeling anxious in the torture museum um and my job is to advise attractions on how to implement these smells and which smells might work best and kind of uh, lead to the the best results in their attractions so whether they want to make people feel a certain way or if they want to tell a certain story and kind of use smells to change how the story is being told as it develops so it's very exciting always lots of different projects it is and I'm I'm really intrigued about how you came to be in this role so you see your bio says that you advise on aromas storytelling influences psychological influences and thematic influences as well as practical ways to utilize aroma in different environments all of this is is really really fascinating but how did what did you study and how did you get to be this person that advises on all of these things well I actually did an animation degree and then I I worked in the animation industry for a while and that from that, I kind of learned lots of design skills and storytelling skills. And I ended up putting that into work at an escape room where I designed escape rooms. So there was kind of sound design and visual design and um, telling stories again. And then I ended up working freelance designing experiences and museum interpretation for attractions like um, castles and um, more escape rooms and a ghost train on one occasion and through working in the attractions industry as a designer I wondered if I could maybe contribute my kind of understanding of the the processes behind attraction design and put that into smell Um, and I knew that Aroma Prime existed and I wondered if maybe I could help them out through that. So I sent them an email and they said, oh, we're looking for someone like you. And they <laughs> took me on. And I think it was late 2018, maybe. So it's been a few years now and it's been going quite well. So you've kind of honed your craft working at Aroma, Aroma Prime. So can you just explain a little bit about, I, I I understand about the storytelling influences that we that we talked about and how like smell brings back those memories and and it can transport you to a different place. Tell me about the psychological influences and the thematic influences. What do you mean by those? How does that work? It's a bit like what I was saying about the roller coaster cue or um, in a scare maze, for example, you might use a pleasant smell that lots of people have a familiar connection with, like the smell of bananas. Um, Maybe not everyone likes bananas, maybe the smell of chocolate. And to kind of lift people's spirits and give them a false sense of security so that um, when they suddenly turn a corner and see something horrid and it has a disgusting kind of rotten smell, you're kind of crafting the psychological journey for them. So you're bringing back these pleasant emotions and memories and then you're twisting it. And maybe that horrible smell will be the smell of vomit that most people have kind of really unpleasant associations with. Um, and it will make them feel uncomfortable when suddenly uh, a pig man jumps out with a chainsaw. <laughs> um, so, so you can kind of tie the sense into 
how the story develops and um, manipulate or um, influence emotions as it goes along. Yeah. And how? And what about the thematic influences? What does that mean in terms of smell? It's probably the most basic way of looking at scent. So um, a fantasy experience, for example, like we did a wizard mini golf attraction recently. So it's kind of finding or creating scents that apply to a theme. And sometimes that can be tricky if it's like a fantasy theme. You might not really be sure what kinds of smells potions have. Okay. But like um, with our unicorn smell, for example, we sniff some horses, as you would. <laughs> um, and we read lots of kind of ancient myths about unicorns to try. And we kind of approached it like we would approach historical smells. So we want them to be backed up with um, stories and kind of uh, authenticity where possible to make sure that the theme is as strong as it can be. Isn't that funny, though, because when you said unicorn, I the image of unicorn in my head is like glittery and pink because every little girl is, are obsessed by glittery pink unicorns. And so I was like, oh, yeah, but for me, unicorns smell a bit sugary. It's that like yeah. sweet, like a sweet sugary smell they smell like. Yeah, well, that's what the final project product <laughs> is, really. It's like got a little undertone of horse, but it's mostly like a birthday cake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Thank you for explaining that. Um, That's put me right. Yeah, I, it's really weird how you, you see what something looks like and you instantly imagine what it smells like, even though I have no clue what a unicorn smells like, obviously. Um, yeah I guess it's the same feeling the um the one that you spoke about in terms of like making people feel comfortable and then shocking them is uh I can remember reading something years ago about if you're selling your house have some freshly baked bread just come out of the oven because that is a smell that everyone finds quite comforting and quite homely and so then you know if you can if you smell that while you're in a new home you think oh yeah I could I could see myself living here. This is a, a cosy place to be, isn't it? So it's that that kind of sense that you're trying to get um, building people. Yeah, it's a big thing in retail, um, using scents in shops. There was a study where people went into a room, I think it was full of shoes, um, and it wasn't scented and they kind of responded to what they thought of the the products, whether it was shoes or not. And then there were some other participants who went into a room that was scented and it had the same products. And the people in the scented room valued the products as being more expensive or they guessed that they would be more expensive because they saw them as a higher quality because the room was scented, even though they didn't realise it was the scent that was. Because they could smell like the leather and the, and the, right. Okay. Gosh, that's interesting, isn't it? How yeah, it can affect so it, how you perceive something as well. Yeah, it can change perception. And also, like you say about pleasant smells, it can make you, if you smell something like bread, it makes you kind of hungry because it um, kind of triggers those memories of enjoying bread. And therefore, you'll start to kind of seek it out. And you won't necessarily find bread, but you'll seek out some kind of satisfaction and that satisfaction might end up being purchasing something. A very expensive house purchase. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how um, like how do you create the smells? Because I watched one of the interviews that you did. Um, I think it was for the BBC, which I will we'll link to in the show notes. It's really interesting. But I think one of them said 
that your recipes some some of them are based on 30 year old recipes these smells so how how do you even start to create the smells well yeah well like I was saying we're turning 50 next year so um it was actually slightly inaccurate in the BBC Ah, video is um sorry kids yeah (laughs) (laughs) well that was my fault I told them the wrong date so I only actually, there's not much, um, there are not many records about the company history. And I, I only a while ago realised or found a document that said when it was founded. Um, we'll so it's always been you. a bit of a mystery. <laughs> um, but yeah, we over that time, we've accumulated over 400 aromas. So uh, we've kind of got a big stock of anything anyone could imagine just about. And if they want something that's a bit more specific sometimes we might combine um our existing scent so it might be a bit of grass with a bit of um rotten eggs for some kind of rolled dal soup for example and then if we are making something from scratch it will be a case of um finding the chemicals that kind of have certain qualities um like you might have a chemical that is generally used in rose products because it has a rose smell right. and then you can kind of combine it with others and often we'll have references like maybe um rhino dung we've been sent otter poo and um jaguar urine before <laughs> to get that right in the post Just yeah go get the post today i wonder what could be in it that's a surprise yeah so sometimes <laughs> we'll we'll be kind of mixing things and sniffing and then we'll also send lots of samples to the clients so they can say if it's accurate or not. And it works that way. That's brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> it's funny to to understand what might turn up in your letterbox each day. Yeah. So when you work with an, an attraction, Halloween is, is a very obvious market for you, right? You know, there, there's lots of scare things that are happening and they are very like smell related. But how do you how do you work with an attraction? Like how what's that process of you you them calling you in and going, look, we've got this thing that we're doing. How can you work with us? Like how do you what do you do? It kind of varies on what their end goal is. Um, sometimes, regardless of what the kind of function of the um, attraction is, um, sometimes it will just be a case of them telling us how large the space is. And then we'll advise on the kind of machine that they'll need because we do machines as well and uh, the themes as well. And then we'll suggest some scents and then they put them in the machines and it can be quite um, a quick process. Sometimes if it's more complex, it might be like a museum that wants a historical scent and they don't want it spreading around the whole museum and stinking things out or ruining the paintings down the corridor. Mm. There can be kind of more um, advice to give in that regard so like um, museums often it's good to use what's called dry diffusion when you have an object that's scented rather than liquid kind of going out as a mist into the air so that object will just kind of emit a smell and you can maybe put a lid over it or have it in a container that has a puffer so yeah some I would often ask what like the end goal is and then kind of um, make some suggestions from there yeah because I hadn't thought about you know if it's a museum those there's artifacts and those things could be damaged by certain smells as well so I guess you have to be quite consultative in your approach about what you offer to them individually yeah it's another case or another issue can be around um 
whether people want to smell things or not. Like if they go to a scare maze, they'll probably expect to be repulsed. But if you go into a museum, I suppose it's because people aren't really used to it. They're not always prepared to sniff things. So it can be good to like have flaps so people can choose whether they're going to smell things or not. Or maybe some places will put up little warnings, like if it's um, kind of a profound um, World War trench set that they can walk into and there's going to be a horrible smell of um, bodies and things. Um, sometimes there might be a warning because it almost um, equates to having gory images, like in museums you'll have warnings that mm. there'll be gory images here. Yeah, and I guess if we like talking about what we we were saying earlier about the, the those emotive, you know, it can take you right back to a place. I guess that that could be quite frightening for some people as well if they don't want to be taken back to those places, for example. Yeah, and people can because smells kind of flexible, and what uh, a horrible smell relating to war could also be a horrible smell relating to some other unpleasant personal memory. So yeah, sometimes you have to kind of. Um, think about how the smells are going to be presented in a way that's going to work for the visitors. Okay. Um, Thought Park, the Dungeons and Warwick Castle all have promotional scent ranges. This is something that you help them develop, isn't it? And I think this was during the pandemic. Am I right? So can you tell us about this. How did this happen? Well, it was a tricky time because all the parks were closed. So the parks were wondering what to do while they were closed and um, the parks were our customers as well, so we couldn't sell to them. Um, so everyone was kind of um, out of action at that point. So we were kind of thinking of ways that we could engage people in our products for the parks and for us. So I think it was Thought Park we approached first, and we just suggested that we could kind of release some of their smells um, that they used in their scare mazes and Eventually, it was Warwick Castle and the smells they use in their Kingmaker experience and the dungeons and their smells to make them available, like branded under the scenes that that, that they appear in in those attractions. Um, so people could buy um, like the blacksmith smell at the Warwick Castle Kingmaker experience. And that was a nice way um, to kind of take people back to the attractions while they weren't able to visit. And it helped Aroma Prime as well, because we were kind of profiting from the customers of our customers in a way that everyone was kind of happy with because it was promoting the parks and the customers were happy because they were being taken back to the parks. Um, there was one customer who contacted me and was thanking me for the opportunity to buy the smell of the Tomb Blaster ride at Chessington World of Adventures because her sister had autism and she was really struggling with the lockdown and being able to transport herself back to the ride through the smell during lockdown kind of brought her lots of comfort. So it turned out to be a kind of lovely and beneficial project for everyone, um, a nice way of adapting to the scenario. That is so wonderful, isn't it? Like being able to be, by the power of smell, being able to be in your favourite place without, you know, being able to leave your house that's incredible what an amazing thing to have been able to do yeah and fans really enjoy it like the wicker man wood smoke smell from Alton Towers is really popular and we get people that like diffuse it in their living room and like make all the lights red and they play the music and 
send us photos and it's <laughs> that's that's taking true fun. fan to like a whole nother level isn't it recreating yeah. the smell of your favorite attraction in your living room wow <laughs> <laughs> okay that's great um but there's other ways of using smells as well isn't it and i think this is this is something that you've been talking about quite a lot on linkedin that i was really interested in a smell tour of amsterdam has been developed and you've been part of this, haven't you? So this isn't just about attractions. This is about tourism as well. Tell us about this. I, I, I don't fully understand what it is and how you've how you've developed it. Well, this was run by Ojeropa, who I've been collaborating with a lot. And Ojeropa is like a, a kind of global group of academics who are working to improve the ways that sense are used to tell historical stories and how they're used in museums. And... One of their projects was this smell tour of Amsterdam. And this was done through a scratch and sniff card. So my job was to illustrate the card and it was a map of Amsterdam. So you could kind of um, follow a route and go to um, like an apothecary that had um, a certain ingredient to its perfume that it once used. Or you could go down to the um, canals and smell what the canals used to smell like hundreds of years ago and kind of scratch as you went around and they developed an app as well so you could kind of track where you were going um and that was a really nice way to engage people in history and they were able to access the stories themselves like they weren't just going through a museum and reading stuff they were like properly exploring and sniffing and taking it all in and it was a really exciting way it was throughout the month of september and the cars were available at amsterdam museum and it was an exciting way to kind of um, get people enjoying and almost living the, the past because they were going through the real places where all this stuff happened. That's such a brilliant idea. So, yeah, you're, you, it's, it's completely immersive, isn't it? You're, you're in the area. You're doing a walking tour so you can see the places that, that are being described to you. And then you can smell what they smelled like 100 years ago. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. That is really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Got lots of good responses. And I guess you worked with them in the same way that you would an attraction. And, you know, it's just understanding what used to be there, finding the smells that you already have and then bringing them all together into the scratch card. Yeah. In this case, um, Ojeropa already had the smells because they've been like working on lots of different historical smells um, themselves, like they developed the smell of hell. Um, I think based on a, a kind of um, 1700s painting, maybe oh. it was another century. But what does, and what does hell smell like? Can you um, describe it to us? From what I understand, it's mostly fire and <laughs> bodies. Burning, burning <laughs> <Yeah>. hot stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but one of the, the members of Ojeropa had worked on an exhibition in The Hague where people could go around a gallery and they had paintings and like smell puffers like foot pumps so they could pump it and a smell would come out and that would be the smell of the painting or of a something that was in the painting and it was a nice way to kind of engage them with the contents of the painting kind of look a bit harder and think about what's making that smell and why did it smell that way so they Odorae already had kind of lots of interesting smells that they could incorporate into this. That's brilliant. I would absolutely go on a scratch and sniff tour of anywhere. Yeah, well, it's a nice model because you can kind of apply it to any city or even 
I don't know, like an ancient school or um, a hospital or all sorts yeah. of places. And if you think, you know, it has, I guess there's just so many advantages to it as well for people that um, can't see the places that they're in, but can still feel that emotive connection to them by being able to smell what those places smell like. Yeah, smells very good in terms of accessibility, because even if you're like on a theme park ride and you're going along in a boat and maybe there are cannons going off, if you can't see the cannons or you can't hear the cannon sound effects, if you smell it, it kind of um, means that you're not missing out on the story. Yeah, it's brilliant. I hope they do more of those. I'd be up for that. Yeah. There's a quote that I read from you that said, smell is a form of mind control. It really resonated with me, especially because some of the things that we've been talking about. But let's go back to what you started to talk about right at the beginning of our interview was about um, the smells for care homes, because you've worked on quite a few projects for those as well. And I think obviously this is not attractions related, but I just think this is such a wonderful thing to be able to use your skill set for. Tell us a little bit about about what you've done. Well, Care Homes um, was one of the company's first kind of activities, I suppose, back in the 70s. Um, I mean, back then, it would be the smells of the 1920s that would be made to take people back into the past. And that's something interesting as well, because the the kind of residents are always getting that bit older and the, the smells that will be familiar to them change gradually. So we have to kind of think, okay, maybe World War smells. You, I saw on Twitter someone was complaining that their mother was um, being subjected to World War II songs, even though most care home residents probably weren't around back then anymore, or at least a small number. So, yeah, we've been producing um, nostalgic smells for care homes for a long time. And it can be really nice if there's like um, carbolic soap, for example, is a popular one. If there's a smell that lots of um, people, perhaps with dementia, who will have um, personal memories with, it's a nice way of unlocking those memories, especially if um, you tend not to lose your smell memory. So if you smell something from the past, and even if you have memory problems, smelling that can kind of unlock something from years and years ago and bring back those memories and encourage conversation with the other residents that you might live with um, about their memories. And then they, they'll kind of start talking about it and sniffing. And um, it can be a nice way to kind of lift spirits as well as bringing back memories. Yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? I saw the clip um and again this was in the in the clip that we'll we'll add into the show notes but it was about the soap smell and the lady said oh it just makes me feel comfortable it made it just made her it took her to a a happier place where she just had Mm. really good memories of it and it was just such a lovely clip to see you could almost see you know her face kind of light up with the smell because it took her back there instantly it was just brilliant and yeah just think that's such a lovely thing to do yeah there's a company called REM pods which um they make a kind of sets for care homes like um a recreated nostalgic pub from the 60s or um like a train carriage that's quite a popular one so uh like a wall and there's a window that's a screen and you can see the countryside going past and we work with them quite a lot to supply smells to kind of bring that whole experience together so that kind of ties into the themed entertainment as well yeah 
It's like a mini attraction in a care home with sense. Yeah. That's incredible. I had no <laughs> idea that that was even a possibility. What a brilliant thing to be able to yeah. do for people. It could even be as simple as like a memory box. That We have a customer who makes memory boxes for care homes, which are just kind of full of props and uh, things that the residents might be familiar with. And they include the smells as well. And that same customer, she is um, a funeral director and we have what are called aroma cubes, which are normally used by care homes. And they're just little cubes you can pick up and sniff. And um, there was someone who was in her chapel of rest who had died. And the person who had died had worked in a bakery. So this funeral director had put the smell of bread in a little aroma cube just in the same room. And when her family, the, the person's family visited um, in the chapel, they could smell this and they just found it really kind of nice and it took them back to her bakery um, and it wasn't like kind of um, gimmicky it looked like the room wasn't full of bread smells it was just a little thing that they could use to kind of have a nice moment with and it worked really well. That is so lovely I was just thinking what was because I lost my granddad a really really long time ago I think I was like 20 when I lost him and um if I could be in a room now and, to, and to, his smell would be polos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is really, he used to, he had polos, pockets full of polos everywhere. Even when, when he passed away, all of his cardigans had like polo mm. packets in them. And that would be <laughs> the smell if I, if would, that would bring me back to him instantly. So I can completely imagine how comforted they were by, by, by smelling that. Oh, it's, yeah. it's really lovely. Liam, I know that you're super busy at the moment because we're recording this at the beginning of October and Halloween is coming and everyone goes crazy at Halloween, right? So you've been busy since probably a good few months with people ordering in in their smells. Um, What's the most popular Halloween smell on order at the moment? I'd say the familiar one's the most popular because people are going to, like you want smells that are going to affect the largest range of people. So it will be things like vomit and poo and rotting flesh is actually popular. And I suppose not many people would be familiar with that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a statement you hear very often. Rotting flesh is very popular. And we've actually... It's not popular here. (laughs) (laughs) We've um, released a new blocked urinal smell as well. Um, Because we already had a urine smell, but... um, I wanted to try something that had more of a kick to it. So we've got kind of two urine choices this year. <laughs> wow. wow, we've taken it to a whole new level of poo and, poo and wee smells on the podcast, people. Um, Liam, thank you for joining us today. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking about this. And I think it is, it's such a fascinating subject to talk about. So thanks for sharing your insight. Um, we always ask our guests for a book that they'd like to recommend to us, something that they love or something that's helped them in some way. What would you like to share with us today? Mine is Theme Park Design and the art of themed entertainment by david younger and this is like um it's like a bible liam it's huge yeah well i was just gonna say lots of attraction designers kind of treat this as their bible because it's like a big encyclopedia of everything to do with theme park design so there's a bit about smells in it there's a bit here about costumed characters there's stuff on cues and how different cues work um so it's like if anyone wants to go into theme park design or attraction design in general, even if it's like museums, um, this is a great resource. And actually, David Younger, the author, 
I've just been working with him because he's um, started a Kickstarter for a video game that's based on theme parks, sort of. Um, and we've put together a scent collection of the different locations in the game. So as people are playing, they can sniff the smells and kind of transport themselves into the world of the game. Oh, how cool. Um, you must send over the link to us and then we can pop that in the show notes for any of the listeners yeah. that would be interested in it. Okay, so look, as ever, I feel like this is going to be an expensive one for my marketing budget because that looked like a really big book, Liam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but as ever, if you'd like to win a copy of this book, then if you pop over to our Twitter account and retweet the episode announcement with the words, I want Liam's book, then you'll be in a chance of winning it. Liam, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Good luck with Halloween. I know it's it's a really crazy busy time. Um, but thank you for coming on and sharing all of your wonderful smells with us today. That's all right. Thank you for having me. It's been fun to talk about them. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.